0: It's good to be together. You notice that Pastor Don is not with us in person. I am trusting he's there worshiping with us together. He's taking a a quick break as we transition from summer into the fall and refreshing him. So I encourage you to pray that he and Beth would be refreshed during their time away. I encourage you to open your Bibles with me now to our passage for this morning. Our our passage this morning is going to be found in Galatians chapter 5. But I want to start with this. We're going to get to our passage in just a moment, but I want to start with this. It's a story about an animal school. There was a group of animals that got together in the forest one day and decided to start a school. (laughs) Yes. There was a rabbit, there was a bird, there was a squirrel, there was a fish, and there was an eel. They formed a board of education and decided to create a curriculum. The rabbit insisted that burrowing in the ground be on the curriculum. The fish insisted on swimming. The squirrel insisted that perpendicular tree climbing be included in the curriculum. And The bird wanted flying. They put all the courses together, they wrote a curriculum guide, and then they insisted that all the animals take all the classes. Now the rabbit was getting an A in burrowing. But he was struggling with that perpendicular tree climbing. He kept falling over backwards. And finally, after falling so many times on his head, he was a little bit brain damaged. And he he ended up getting a C in burrowing to go with the F in perpendicular tree climbing. The bird was beautiful at flying, but when it came to burrowing in the ground, he was challenged. He kept breaking his beak and breaking his wings. And so he ended up with a C in flying to go with the F in burrowing. The squirrel was terrific at perpendicular tree climbing, but was so afraid of the water they failed swimming altogether. And the fish, obviously the fish was the best at swimming, but he couldn't get out of the water to join the other animals in the other classes. The valedictorian of the class turned out to be a developmentally delayed eel who did a halfway job at everything. But the teachers were happy because everybody was taking all of the subjects in their broad-based educational curriculum. It's a silly story, but it paints a picture of the creativity and the diversity of God's design. God made each of those animals special and unique, with special talents and special abilities, at the same time, some things that they weren't so good at. The same is true for us. We each have been uniquely and wonderfully made by our Creator with great talents and great skills and and abilities that we thrive in. And like you and like me, we all have those areas that we are not strong in, right? God created His, His world with diversity. He created uniqueness into all parts of His creation. There are differences that we are to celebrate, right? And it's a wonderful thing to celebrate those things. The challenge is, when we start to see the differences as not being good. I think sometimes we notice differences even more than we notice uh, similarities. I think it's part of our human nature that causes us to do that sometimes. I think about that when I, I think about some trips that Liz and I took students on during our years in youth ministry. Each year we would take a group of students from our youth group down to Mexicali, Mexico for a week of ministry there. It was during spring break, it was part of APU's Mexico outreach, which drew thousands of students from around the U.S. We would gather there outside of Mexicali on a, a huge dirt lot with all these other youth groups, and it was there that we would have our meals, there that we would have our morning and evening chapels, it was there that we set up our tents to sleep. But each day, each youth group headed off to a different village that we had been assigned to. Each youth group to a different one where we would partner with a local church and doing things like vacation Bible school and, and construction projects. It was challenging ministry. It was difficult ministry because the conditions in these villages was, were quite pr- primitive. But It was a wonderful week of ministry together. Each night, as we would settle into our, our camp, we would gather the team for a debrief. We'd talk about the day, and usually I would start with a question. A question like this, what did you notice today? And then the students would begin to talk about the ministry that they had experienced that day. Almost without fail, on the first night of that debrief, they would talk about the things that were different. They had spent the entire day wide-eyed and noticing the things that were unfamiliar, noticing the things that were different there from life back at home. They talk about the poverty, talk about the, the things that people in those villages had to do without that we took for granted back at home. They talk about the slower pace of life. They talk about priorities that seemed to be different. That whole first day, they had noticed the differences between life in rural Mexico, from life here back in the States. The second night, I began to debrief a little bit differently. I'd ask, what did you notice today that's the same as life back at home? There would be silence for a few moments and then the students would begin to share slowly at first as they were processing the day through this new lens, but then the list would get longer and longer and longer Until the point came where the students realized that what we have in common with these people is so much greater than what's different. It was one of those great aha moments for these students. This morning, we are finishing our summer sermon series, a a series based on the Apostles' Creed, and we've been walking through the Creed line by line together. It's been a, a wonderful series, and I've enjoyed every part of it. I've enjoyed the mornings that I've gotten to preach but you know, one of the great things about being at Crosspoint is that I get to sit on the teaching of two very gifted preachers. Pastor Danny and Pastor Don, you have done a wonderful job of teaching us through this sermon series. And so thank you so much for, for doing such a great job. Yes, let's thank them. A large part of the focus of the Apostles' Creed is on the Trinity we spent a lot of time this summer talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Over the past few weeks, we have spent some extended time looking at the Holy Spirit because there's so much that we don't know, so much that we don't understand. I think many of us have a good understanding of who God the Father is and what he's like. Many of us have a great grasp on Jesus Christ and his role in our redemptive stories. But many Christians struggle to understand the Holy Spirit in the same way. We know much less about the Holy Spirit than we do the Father and the Son. So much so that a few years ago, there was a book published about the Holy Spirit. The title of the book was Forgotten God. So over the past few weeks, we have talked about how God is the one who purifies us. The Holy Spirit is the one who purifies us. The Holy Spirit is the one who equips and empowers us for ministry. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides and directs us. This morning, I want us to talk about how the Holy Spirit brings unity to God's people. Now, we live in a world where unity is not the reality, right? We live in a world where division and disunity is the reality. We have division in our nation right now, perhaps more so right now than at any time in our nation's history since the Civil War. And this disunity, this division in our nation, is a source of heartache for me. I was a political science major at UCLA, and so I'm a bit of a political animal. I've always enjoyed a good political discussion, but not anymore, right? We've learned over the past few years, it's dangerous to have an opinion. That opinion, if it's different than the person you're talking to, could cost you the relationship with them. Now, sadly, Division and disunity have found their way into the church now when I talk about the church this morning I'm not talking about cross point church specifically I'm talking about the larger church the church in general the capital C Church in many cases. I'm talking about the American Church The many denominations within the Christian Church right now are evidence of this division and this disunity There are many denominations, and each of these denominations started as a result of churches deciding that because of differences in theology, because of differences in methodology, they could no longer coexist together. In John chapter 13, Jesus tells his disciples, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is the mark of the disciple. Jesus doesn't say that they will know you're my disciples because of your great ministry programs. He doesn't even say that our stellar theology is what marks us as a disciple. Jesus says it is your love for one another that marks you as my disciple. We've got to do a better job in the church of loving one another. We've got to fight for unity within the body. It's one of the things I love about Pastor Don. This is his heartbeat. Don works so hard at at preserving and protecting and, and promoting the unity of the church. Now, that doesn't mean that we agree on everything, right? It means that we choose to love each other, and we choose to walk together even in the midst of disagreement. Crosspoint's elders modeled this for us wonderfully during that season of time when COVID changed so much about how we do ministry. There was a period of time where we couldn't meet in person, and everything was done on Zoom. And then the time came where we could regather for worship, but only outdoors. And then there was a time where we got to come back together indoors, first in two worship services and then in one all together. Each step of the way, each decision, each change required a lot of discussion. and There were opinions on both sides of every issue. When should we make the change? How should we make the change? Will it be safe? Will the congregation be ready to take that next step forward? And I was amazed that throughout that decision-making process, through each of those changes, at the the health of the the process that we went through. There were times where we stopped and we prayed and we asked the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us in this process. But each step away, the the decision-making process was done so healthy. There was a deep and a guiding desire to maintain the unity within the consistory, within the elder board, and a deep and guiding desire to keep the unity of this church. So elders, I honor you. And I thank you for your godly leadership during this difficult season of ministry. But sadly, disunity and division have found their way into the American church. Many Christians, including many of us, have become resigned to this fact that this is just the way it is. That this is the way it's going to be until Jesus returns, so why even bother talking about it? Now, if that's you, even subconsciously, if that's you, please don't check out this morning. This is far too important. us to check out. It's important because the Christian church is easily the most divided faith group on earth, and there isn't a close second. I'm not exaggerating. We would be hard pressed to find another religion with more than two or three factions in it. We have thousands of denominations and ministries, each one believing that their theology and their methodology is best. When I think about that, when I Realize that Jesus died so that our divisions would be ended when I think about the fact that Jesus commands us to be United when I think about the fact that Jesus says that we will impact the world when we become one I realize this is not the way it's supposed to be This is not the way God designs us the church cannot stay huddled again. I'm talking big church not cross point church the church cannot stay huddled in its circles and continue to have those conversations that we have about how misguided our brothers and sisters are. It's time to try something different. We can't continue to have those conversations and, and that, have that idea that our primary duty towards our fellow believers in other denominations is to critique them, because it's not. Our primary duty is to love them. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 13, that we owe a debt of love to one another. Our divisions affect God, and they affect an unbelieving world. And so for us to say that's just the way it is, is dangerous. It's dangerous because it ignores the fact that our divisions break the heart of God. It's dangerous because the world is confused by our divisions. And it's dangerous because we are disobeying clear instruction from God's word. Please understand that God cares about unity far more than any human being who has ever walked this earth. His word speaks to that clearly. Again and again we see scripture talking about God's heart that his people would be one. I want us to look at several of these passages. I'm going to put them on the screen. I'm going to read them out loud. But I would ask that you allow these words, God's word, to soak into the deep places in your heart and your soul and reveal God's heart. one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In Titus chapter 3, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Galatians 3, for all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. In 2 Timothy 2, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. In James 3, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And finally, in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is the heart of God. I don't want us to be afraid to take these commands from Scripture literally. You know, there are certain parts of Scripture that we take literally and certain parts that we don't. And we all make decisions about that. For example, how about the command to, to sell all of your possessions? Is that a literal command for us today? How about plucking out your eye? I, I think that both of those would fall in the category of, of commands that are not literally for us to take today. But I'm extremely confident That Jesus' commands for us to love one another, to be united, and to avoid controversy are literal commands for us to follow today. The church has tried to promote unity. We have had events designed to promote unity where we bring Christians and Christian organizations from different backgrounds together for a common cause. We have created common doctrinal statements to promote unity. We have prayed for unity. But I think we'd have to say that, by and large, nothing has worked. Nothing has worked because we haven't gotten to the root issue, right? We think that the problem is differences in theology, differences in in methodology. And so we have arguments about this Bible passage and that Bible passage. We think that unity will happen when I convince the other guy to take my point of view. Here's the thing. Our divisions are caused by deeper issues. And I think in many cases divisiveness is a sign of spiritual immaturity when we experience God's love we are given the ability to love one another and so when somebody's faith when somebody's relationship with God is weak or perhaps they're just going through the motions and all it takes is something trivial like a disagreement to to divide us see love is the answer now I know that sounds simplistic, and there might be people who reject it just because it's so simple. The thing that sometimes we have, in, in our quest for sophistication in theology, which is a good thing, and we need to continue to pursue sophistication in theology, but sometimes as we have grown in the sophistication of our theology, it's been at the expense of the growing in our love for God and our love for each other. Jesus said, love for God and love for your neighbor is literally the most important thing. And so there is hope for unity. But Until we accept the simplicity of it, we will continue to divide. You know, there's a miracle that happens when the Holy Spirit comes into us when we become a Christian. We are given the the supernatural ability to love others because the fruit of the Spirit becomes present in our lives. Divisiveness and the inability to love Is a sign that either the Holy Spirit did not enter into that person or they are doing a masterful job of suppressing him. You know, in Scripture, we see often that, that God allows people into seemingly impossible situations. And then God appears in His power and manifests His power in a way that saves the day, parting the Red Sea, raising Lazarus from the dead. There are people who would look at the division within the church today and say, it's time for a miracle. Wouldn't this be a great time for God to answer Jesus' prayer, asking for oneness within his his body? See, we have a God who exists eternally in perfect relationship. We believe that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet just one God. This this belief in in a, a triune God is the essential part of the Christian faith and is expressed in the Apostles' Creed that we have looked at this summer. Our triune God exists together in perfect relationship. In the creation story in Genesis, we see that we human beings were created in God's image. And then in John chapters 14 to 17, Jesus says something amazing. He says that we were created in such a way that we have the capacity, the capability of attaining oneness with God and oneness with one another. Look at Jesus' words in John 17. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is unbelievable, isn't it? Jesus' prayer is that every believer will join in this perfect oneness with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the oneness that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have experienced throughout all of eternity. We were created in the image of God so we can join in this unity. God's desire is to be perfectly one with you and perfectly one with me. Doesn't that just blow you away? The thing is, It's not just unity with God that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is praying that all of creation would experience what they've been created for, which is unity with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but also united with all whom Jesus has saved. We worship a God who desires unity with his children and unity between his children. He sent Jesus to bring all of his children under his care. No good father wants separation to happen between his children. I am a father who who loves his daughters more than words could ever express. And it would crush me if there was division and separation between them. It would anger me if one of them was being divisive with the other. That's the way God is. He wants unity with his children. And he is angry. In fact, his word says he hates it when one is divisive with the other. In Proverbs 6, we see this says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. That last phrase can also be translated as one who sows discord among believers. He's talking about his family. He's talking about God's people. He says he hates the one who stirs up discord among his children. And he calls it an abomination. Our divisions, unity is important enough to cause Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus suffered and died to unite us to God and to unite us with one another. And so when someone disregards unity, they are belittling the cross. In Ephesians 2, Paul talks about the connection between the cross and unity. We also know that divisions grieve the Holy Spirit. Sometimes Christians fall into the thinking that the Holy Spirit is not a person in the same way that God the Father and Jesus Christ are, that he's somehow just this uh, impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person, and he grieves. Even his infinite power does not prevent him from grieving. In Ephesians 4, we see this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. The Holy Spirit grieves. And the Apostle Paul connects his grieving to the divisions caused by our words and actions. Now, if the Holy Spirit is grieved, and the Holy Spirit lives within me, I should feel that grief, right? And so if the Holy Spirit is grieving about our divisions, and I, I'm just fine with it, there's a problem there, right? The Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church in Galatia. It's a, it's a church that he loves dearly. And he addresses several issues, things that are happening within the church, and he, he provides counsel for how to deal with these issues. He talks about it throughout the book of Galatians, but I want us to look at the passage that we opened up to earlier in Galatians chapter 5, where I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. Paul writes this, "'You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, "'but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. "'Rather serve one another humbly in love, "'for the entire law is fulfilled "'in keeping this one command, "'Love your neighbor as yourself.'" If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft hatred discord jealousy fits of rage selfish ambition dissensions factions and envy drunkenness orgies and the like i warn you as i did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of god paul divides up the acts of the sinful nature which are sometimes called the works of the flesh into four areas he divides them up into sexual sins, into religious sins, social sins, and drinking sins. And it's this third area, the social sins, that Paul seems to be focusing on especially because he gives a lot more detail in that. Talking about hatred and discord, jealousy and fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy. These are the kinds of acts. These are the kinds of things that, de- that, that destroy unity. They destroy fellowship. They destroy holiness. And the second part of verse twenty-one there jumps out at you. It's a warning. It says, "Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God." There's some disagreement about what that phrase means. I like the way Pastor Danny described it last week, but however you interpret it, it's a warning worth taking note of. In verse twenty-two. Paul continues, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong in Christ, to Christ Jesus are crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So the works of the flesh destroy unity, destroy fellowship, destroy holiness. But the works of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, God's work, the Spirit's work in us and through us do something different. They promote things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They produce the kinds of things that promote fellowship, that promotes unity, that promotes holiness. The Holy Spirit allows us and helps us, gives us the ability to live in unity. Now Paul is writing a letter to people he dearly loves. People who are facing issues that are threatening to tear them apart. And he addresses these issues head on. There are theological issues. Are we made right with God through Christ's work or by observing the law? There's social issues. Is the church to be made up of Jews or Gentiles or both? And do Gentiles need to become Jews before they become Christians? He's talking about gender issues, male and female. What's the appropriate role for each within the the body of Christ? And personality issues, dealing with leadership within the church. These issues are creating division within the church in Galatia. As I look at this list, I see not much has changed, right? These are issues that we face in the church today that continue to divide us as well. And so Paul's solution is this. Live in the Spirit. Paul says the solution is to live in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? First of all, it means that we allow the Spirit to be our guide. We need to pray and ask that the Spirit would lead us and guide us. When there is a conflict, whether it be a conflict between one person and another person, or conflict between one group and another. We begin by praying and asking that the Holy Spirit would guide us, and then we commit to follow his leading, right? Until both parties in conflict agree that the Holy Spirit's leading can be trusted and commit themselves to submitting to that leading, there will be no progress. Now, this is hard. This is is very, very hard, because agreeing to follow this and agreeing to do this means I'm giving up control. I'm giving up the right to to make the decision I might live in fear that I'm gonna get steamrolled I'm gonna get taken advantage of I might not get my way when I decide that the Spirit will be my guide I am surrendering my power to make the decision but that's the way it should be anyway right what the Spirit wants is what I as a follower of Jesus should want whatever my desires are secondly When those in conflict seek to live in the spirit and find resolution together, they should stop and examine what the Bible teaches about the problem. Now, the Bible doesn't address every issue. You cannot open up the Bible and find an answer to the question of what color should the carpet be in the worship center. Believe me, there have been divisions caused by the color of the carpet in the worship center. Not here, but elsewhere. But the Bible does speak to issues of division and dissension within the church. It doesn't matter what the issue is. Division and dissension are not right in the Christian church. They are wrong. When divisions and and divisiveness exist, we are not letting the spirit work the way God wants because there should be peace and joy. There should be kindness and gentleness. And when those things are missing, when they're missing in a church, when they're missing in a ministry, then we need to turn back to God's word for instruction when we submit to what the spirit shows and and shows us about how we should conduct ourselves true progress can be made and then third each party must trust that the guidance that the spirit gives will be sufficient now this guidance this leading will come in a number of forms it can come through scripture words of scripture like we just talked about it can come through spirit prompted words by a trusted friend or can come from church leadership. As God guides in this way through his spirit, we want to listen, we want to trust that the leading of the spirit will be exactly what we need. The thing is this, in all of this, we need to pursue what is right, rather than who is right. Let me say that again. We need to pursue what is right, rather than who is right we can't pretend that we are always right we trust that the spirit will lead and that his leading will be right for us ultimately there has been too much conflict too much disunity too much division because there's been too little trust in the spirit and too little living in the spirit and as a result there have been too many divisions over what seems like insignificant issues now please understand, if somebody comes to me and says that Jesus is not our only way to acceptance with God, I believe we should part company. But I do not believe that we should part company over minor issues, nor do I believe that we should ever fight and war over these issues. Debate, discuss, disagree, yes. War, provoke, fight, no. No. Paul entered into the mess that was the Galatian church, and he gave them a message. When God's people live in the Spirit, they do not war with one another. Instead, they bring glory to God who wants them to enjoy the fellowship that he promises. It's the kind of fellowship that is only possible through the Spirit's work in us. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that your design for us is one of unity and wholeness, one where love is the guiding word in all of our interactions. Thank you that you, Holy Spirit, make that possible. And Lord, help us to believe that that nothing is impossible with you. If there's someone here who is discouraged by the disunity that's experienced in the American church, by what we see on the news, by the, the damage to our testimony caused by division. Lord, I pray that you would encourage, that you would fill us with the hope, the hope that you are at work, that you want this more than we ever could, and that you are at work, that your church might be powerful, a powerful witness for you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you, through your Holy Spirit, give us the ability, give us the the fruit of the Spirit that allows us to be changed creation, that changes our relationships with our brothers and sisters in significant ways, in ways that cause you to be glorified and your church to grow. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.